Automation has become a hot topic in the logistics world. You may have seen a video or even been to one of those high-tech warehouses with robots zipping all over the place. Automation is, of course, reshaping how goods move through complex global supply chains. It's also reshaping the workforce. And this is certainly true of the people working on the warehouse floor, but it goes all the way up to the C-suite. And this transformation of the supply chain profession through automation and digitization has been accelerated, like most everything else it seems, by the pandemic. What does this transformation really mean for the world of logistics and supply chains? Well, that's the topic of today's show. I'm our Patnode, Global Content Director at JLL. I have with me today Radu Palamariu, Global Head of Supply Chain and Logistics Practice at Alcott Global. He's been working on C-level and top management executive search assignments with some of the world's biggest companies in manufacturing, logistics, supply chain management, and e-commerce. And I'm joined by Michael Ignatiadis, Head of Supply Chain and Logistics Solutions for Asia Pacific at JLL. Radu, a warm welcome to you, and Michael, welcome back to Investor Perspectives. Hello, my pleasure to be here. Hi, Radu. Hi, Art. Radu, I just wanted to start with you. How is automation changing logistics as a profession? You know, what's so different about the jobs and skills you see today? Um, well, I guess the last 12 to 18 months have pretty much been a fast forward uh, button press in terms of the acceleration of uh, all this digital related is not just automation but i would say digital supply chain related projects that have been implemented we probably all know we might have been working for a company that you know managed to pull off uh, such a project maybe in two to three months because they had no other choice uh, to avoid you know bro broken supply chains at a global scale uh, and before maybe it would take i don't know uh, years to do such projects so automation is has been part of that shift and also maybe occurred in markets that uh, traditionally or historically are not as cost effective. So, for example, in um, in emerging economies, so we sit in Southeast Asia, many of the markets except for Singapore are what we would say is emerging and the cost of labor is not that high. Hence, automation is not always justifiable. However, um, to quote uh, uh, an example of one of our clients, a large FMCG group, so they ended up with uh, warehouses that were locked down, they ended up with plants and manufacturing facilities that uh, there was no workers inside. So in order for them to keep production going and keep logistics going, they had to press an acceleration in terms of, okay, let's automate this point A and point B because, uh, you know, robots obviously don't fall sick and don't need to go into lockdown. And at least this will keep our business running. So even if the cost is maybe not justifiable, the uh, impact on the business is way uh, is way justifiable. So I think that's that's something that has uh, on the topic of automation, it has accelerated it may, maybe even in markets where it doesn't necessarily make uh, financial immediate sense, but it covers a lot on the risk and resilience of supply chain side. Like you said, things are happening at such a pace that would be uh, mind-boggling, I suppose, to professionals two or three years ago. What is it that they're trying to focus on and what are the new skills that might, might need to do this compared to in years past? Maybe I can, I, can, uh, I can talk about three plus one, right? So three are what 
what you would call um, maybe more hard skills related and and one would be soft skills related so the hard skills ones and i don't think it's necessarily uh, anything new but again it's it's the order of importance right so always different skills for different ages are more important so these three i would i would group them under digital supply chain skills right so you need to be able to i mean everything is digital right if you're still operating on on papers and look i mean <laughs> it might find uh, it might be surprising for some of, of your listeners but uh, you know there's still companies out there operating on facts and there's you know there's shipping there's transportation industries there's customs there's a lot of things that are quite um, quite backward right so they're not yet even there at the, that level of digital that we we need it to be so digital supply chain skills are a must uh, the other big big area of skills which is badly needed and has proven to be business breaking is uh, data analytics skills, right? So the companies that were able to first have the systems, the technology to uh, to get accurate data into their supply chains, into their networks, into their movement of goods, and then analyze that and make fast decisions, obviously uh, managed to navigate and are managing to navigate this crisis better and sometimes the difference is huge right so i was one of the clients was um, it's a major ingredients group right and um, because so this happened 12 months ago when india was locked down for the first time so a lot of the ingredients is manufactured the in in india for all of the companies there's only four or five yeah in the world that are major major players in ingredients so because this client was able to pull the data analyze realize that Basically, their manufacturing plants all over the world were dependent on those ingredients and were able to charter a flight, which was, I don't know, 10 times more expensive than what they would normally pay. But they were able to get that um, uh, raw material out of India in time. They were able to uh, basically be the only player in the world that didn't have to change the formulation. Yeah. So the rest of the groups of companies had to change the formulation of their uh, products because those ingredients were no longer be able to be taken out of India for either. I think there was a six month, six weeks uh, lockdown, right? So it's a, it's you know it's the data analytics and obviously the brain power behind it that made a lot of difference. And I think those skills are, you know, have been important before, but now it's 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 mission critical. And thirdly, I think the COVID crisis on the hard skill side has a has showed how important risk assessment, risk management skills are. Um, we've even seen from an executive search, which is one of our business perspective, um, that there have been chief risk officers appointed even at board level in key positions in supply chains and operations because all of a sudden you know having one contingency plan is good but you know there's a lot of letters to the alphabet and this covid crisis has kind of shown that you better have b c d e f g type of planning so having those uh, risk management skill sets in your teams have become incredibly incredibly important and lastly the soft skill that i wanted to mention is relationships uh it's very basic, uh, very fundamental, but ultimately the people that were able to and are able to navigate the current times better are the ones that are actually building relationships with their vendors, with their partners, with their customers, are able to think long-term, not just short-term, let's cut corners and cut costs. Long-term partnerships, long-term relationships, um, it's, a, it's such a basic thing, but still, to this day, many, many companies don't do it right. And Radu, just uh, on the last one, it's very interesting, especially if we look at the ocean liners and the shippers, right? The, the, the procurement professionals from the shippers and how they they work with the ocean liners. And, and I guess in the last 10 years before the, the COVID crisis, the, the ocean liners, you know, didn't really, <laughs> didn't really make that much profit, right? They were really 
squeezed by the shippers and procurement professionals really uh it was a it was an easier job for them but but now when they got the squeeze in the COVID, the that's where the the ones who had good trust trusting relationships with the ocean liners were able to get you know the the mm -hmm. their the supply they wanted and it's it's a great point. Thanks for mentioning it, Michael. And it's 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 happening across the board. So, ocean shipping obviously there's only like 10, 10 players globally or what, what, 10, 12 major players, right? So there, uh, I guess even from a from a manufacturer perspective, typically they would try to have good relationships because um, because there's not that many. But even even there, of course, we're supply and demand, right? So if 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 they had the leverage, they would bargain hard, and hence shipping lines didn't make money for the last ten years, right? Now you know everybody's crying. Oh my God, they're making so much money, but you know they 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 do have to they do have to somehow make up for the for the last decade uh, in which they didn't. Back to the point: relationships, think long term, don't focus just on okay how can i make my 10 cents per kilogram less this year you need to think long term michael do these four ring true when you're in those physical warehouses themselves and not in but you know in the operations there as well is this also what you're seeing in this front yeah well obviously within the four walls there are different kind of uh, skill sets that require the the kind of the blue collar uh labor within the four walls of the warehouse has been um impacted in a very very different way and, and at the moment you know really the last year and a half it's, it's all about turnover and and you have warehouse for example in australia where you know the whole shift had to be you know removed because of a case uh and then you had a new they, they need to source it for a huge uh, team. And then that team also gets uh, uh, infected uh, and then you need a third team. So so on the on the blue collar uh, within the four walls in that space, there's a, there's a bit of kind of a big crunch there. And it's, it's more about getting the, the people and then training them up and managing that turnover. I'm not sure, Radu. How, how do you? Obviously, you, you focus a bit more on the, on the on the white collar professionals. But what's your view on the on the on the blue collar? I think that there is still a big, big problem with people. Like we people, companies not getting um, peop, the people to work in the warehouses in developed markets, say Singapore, say. I don't know, UK or different parts of Europe and Hong Kong and so on. It's not obviously it's not a job that people want to do. Right. So uh, so then uh, this country's also had to rely on people coming in Singapore. For example, a lot of this stuff would come from Malaysia. Right now, again, that led to significant disruptions because when borders were shut, locked down and so on, well, what do you do right so uh, again, on the topic where we started, automation has to be accelerated. And I think that's happening. I just I'm coming back again, Radu. Those the four elements that you listed I find really interesting. So you know, the digital supply skills, data analytics, uh, risk assessment, and the relationships. I'm wondering, at the beginning you said as well that not all companies are are doing all of this as they should be these days. What's the one that's the hardest for them to achieve, or you know, kind of what is holding them back? Um, if if I can go first, I mean, I see. I mean, the hard skills are are tough to find sometimes, but it's the soft skills. The devil for me is usually in the soft skills and the soft skills and the, the soft skills are underpinned by mindset, right? So that mindset of, look, let's think long-term, let's think, you know, how do we operate as an ecosystem? We as the company X together with our clients and our vendors, right? And how do we work together in a partnership to make sure that we deliver and that we all make money? That type of thinking, is fairly 
even to this day, is not common. Yeah, it's not common. Structurally, again, we operate in a public listed type of environment where a lot of companies, it's almost impossible for them to think like that if every three months they need to show results and whatever, right? Revenue and, and so on. But I find that, that the ones long term that we, that will be able to structure their businesses in this way will win. And and with COVID-19, it's clear, right? I mean, now, you know, it's the difference between may, being able to deliver to your clients or not is the difference between being able to make a product like I gave the example with the ingredients companies or not. So it's 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 forcing a lot of them to to, to shift this mindset. I hope it's going to stick. I hope, you know, once this is over, when it's over 12, 24 months, um, you know, they don't go back to the <laughs> to the old habits. Uh, but this to me is the hardest, uh, if you ask me. Art. Yeah, and and I have to to agree with Radu. That's that's the hardest because it's uh, you know something that you don't get taught through an online course or a university, right? That's through experience and through the right mentorship. And I mean, if I may add, uh, for me, if we look at uh, disruptions, right, the, the last you know 20 years, we probably have eight, nine dis- big disruptions, and obviously the COVID has been the biggest one. Maybe the only one that really impacted uh, resources and, and people. And, and the, the 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 what's lacking is that if you cannot predict that uh, future disruptions, are you able to understand what's your I would say what's your time to recover from a possible disruption uh, disruption in the future? Um, and that's that's a, a capability that's lacking and the ability to be able to analyze that. Your, look at your critical pathways and your bottlenecks and be able to understand what's your time to recover from a possible disruption and then what's your time to, to survive. Um, so your time to recover is shorter than your time to survive uh, uh, as a company, then then you're good. But if, uh, but if not, then you're going to have a, an outage for your customers, right? And, uh, and this is a gap that you have to address. So the ability to, to assess that, which kind of combines what right, you mentioned, right? The, the digital uh, the digitalization of your supply chain, your, um, your ability to do the analysis and the, the kind of the analytics and be able to assess that uh, risk in your supply chain, kind of a combination of these three through a metric. I think the ability to do that is critical, but I think most companies, and correct me if I'm wrong, right, do aren't able to to do that at this moment. Yeah, most 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 of them uh, can't. Um, but I'll, actually, a, a question triggered in my mind, Michael, and maybe you can uh, answer it on the topic of risk, right? And this. It's almost like to the models, right? Just in time versus just in case, uh, which is now there's a shift, right? With the just in case model taking over because nobody can guess what, what will go wrong next in supply chain. So there's been a, a shift to China plus one, right? To make sure that you have several points of sourcing, all of that. Have you seen that at JLL? Have you seen your clients looking for, I mean, because obviously you look, you control the real estate, right? And you help them also with the with the different um, strategies around it. Have you seen them asking, okay, now we need another point of mitigation, another distribution center, another manufacturing in the area, so that we don't rely just on one country? Or how how's things from that angle? Yeah, I mean, we definitely see uh, clients asking um, asking us to review their their network. Uh, within their, uh, their within their, the region they, they work in, and whether adding adding points in their supply chain will impact their ability to to respond to disruption versus the ability to 
to deliver the products in a, in a faster to their to their end customer. So these kind of projects are happening, but they've always been happening, right? It's not something new. The I think the the change here is that again, risk and resilience is something that we can put as one of their the key metrics in a way. Whereas beforehand, uh, I would say it would be really down the uh, the list of priorities, right? It was hard to quantify, and usually we would just look at, you know, okay, what are your sourcing costs, your manufacturing, your transportation, your inventory carrying, and your tariff and taxes. So we would look at those five. But now risk is something that we can uh, we can definitely bring into the discussion to get yeah, to our clients. We're running out of time, but if I may, one last question. Gazing into your crystal ball, what will be the key skill sets? in logistics in 10 years from now? A decade is, is very long, actually, so it might it might probably be more like in the three to five year horizon. But I'm, I'm going to go back to, to, to what I, my, my strong, strong view. And it's also the reason why we in recent times we started the launching training academy and supply chain skills more on the soft skill side. I think the biggest lack and the biggest difference between the companies that will win and the companies that will lose actually, uh, is going to be in their people, but more specifically in their ability of those people to build relationships, think creatively, and is the soft skill side of the business, right? Because it's ultimately technology will not, I mean, will be available more or less for everybody, right? So, I mean, you, me, uh, Michael, right? We all order, we can order via whatever it is, Amazon, Alibaba, whatever it may be, right? And their technology is not that different from one another, right? If we just take Amazon to Alibaba, right? It's the same with most companies. They're going to have access to more or less similar types of software, similar types of technology, similar types of analytics, right? The ability of their teams and of their cultures to act fast, to innovate, to be creative, that combination of, you know, analytics plus the human intelligence behind it is going to make the difference is going to make or break the company. So to me, it's 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 this. It's my deep belief that a lot of the time we uh, tend to focus on the shiny things on the next, you know, technology, blockchain, AI, machine learning, whatever it may be. And of course, that is important. However, I don't think that will, you know, that will make the biggest of the difference for the companies. It's, uh, it's, the, it's the people and it's the soft skills of the people and the culture of the company. Uh, Radu, Michael, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, and a big thank you to all of our listeners who tuned in. Please do share your feedback. We're always interested to hear from you, and we hope that you'll join us on the next podcast.